that we thought things had been tough going in the West. Jamie Sandilands took up his first management role last May, but has had just two games since. The Whitburn Juniors boss had to wait until December for his first match in charge. Then he saw the East Region Premiership South go back into lockdown soon after. We'll talk to Jamie about how he's found his first year in management after 12 years coaching at Larkhall Thistle and Offaly. As more and more sides leave the juniors behind, we'll find out what the future holds for the Burnie. Plus, we'll look back at Jamie's playing days as a goalie, which started out at Motherwell and took in the likes of Hamilton, Kaluk Rovers and Shotspon Accord. It's all here as we go down the divisions. Good to have you along for another 60 minutes or so looking at Scotland's lower leagues. While we're recording this on Pancake Day, Paul, had a few pancakes at the Davis household today? Not today. Uh, pancakes are usually a tradition at my mother's house. We usually go down there, the kids go down and they get to toss their pancakes, but uh, not this year. Now, I did say to them, though, that right, when we go home tonight, we'll make pancakes. And I've not really got round to it. In fact, I never even went to the supermarket to buy the stuff. But my saving grace is if I go tomorrow, they'll be half price, won't they? <laughs> <laughs> Yes, for all of those out there who were wondering, Paul Davis is tight. Um, <laughs> uh, quick word for our sponsors, media agency 44 Creative. If you're looking for photographers, graphic designers, videographers or video editors to help promote your content, brand, organization or event, then they'd love to hear from you. They make creation personal. Find out more at www.44creativehq.com. We'll include that link in the show's description on your podcast player too. Back to the show, and please do keep the comments and suggestions for guests coming. If you're a club in the lower leagues looking for more exposure, we'd also like to hear from you. Our email address is downthedivisions at gmail.com. That's downthedivisions at gmail.com. Or you can contact us through Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Hi, Stephen Aitken, East Coast Bay Manager. You're listening to Down the Divisions. Whitburn Juniors boss Jamie Sandilands is on the show this week. Thanks for being with us, Jamie. Thanks very much for inviting me on. We'll uh, we'll chat some more in a moment, but before we do, we've got the Down the Divisions decider. We'll give you four clues for a particular club from League One down, then reveal the answer at the end of the show. Right, you both ready for this? I think you'll like this one, Paul. Oof, can't wait. Right, this week. I'm looking, I'm looking for the club whose ground sits opposite a medieval castle. They have a manager who once played for Scotland's under-21s. Ah, right, okay. (laughs) When they were formed in 1920, they had ex-servicemen as part of the name. And the suburb where they play was once a prosperous whaling village and was later nicknamed the richest square mile in Europe. Oofed. Ah, it's easy than eight, eh? <laughs> you look pretty confident there at the start, Ah, I know, and then started talking about whaling and that. <laughs> Gareth, I'm a goalkeeper, mind. <laughs> <laughs> so is that is that, is that uh, code for saying you haven't got a clue? Yeah, something like that. <laughs> <laughs> I've got an answer and I'm going to stick to it. Right. We'll find out the answer at the end of the show. 
Hi, my name is Jamie Nesbitt, manager of Thornwood United, and you're listening to Down the Divisions. Whitburn boss Jamie Sanderlands is on the show this week. But Jamie, I guess uh, even the most experienced manager will have had a challenge over the past 12 months. Um, you took up your first ever manager's job at Whitburn two months into lockdown. And as I said at the start, you've only had two games. What what, what has it been like? Uh, it's been very strange. Uh, obviously, I'd been in and around the management team for a number of years before, so I you always kid yourself on, you kind of, you know what it's going to be all about, but I don't think any of us seen this. Clearly, we were in lockdown when I was fortunate enough to uh, to be given the post, but I think at that point we were trying to work out whether we'd start the season in August or September, uh, and things clearly sort of stretched out quite a bit further than that. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's been very surreal, very challenging. I think... I, Mentioned to you having a wee chat earlier that you know we've now became experts at pre-season because well, I think we're on pre-season round six now or something like that. So yeah. when we come around to start of that next year, we should have no excuses for getting that wrong. <laughs> we obviously played you in a friendly, and I, I, I thought you were excellent. I thought you were a really really good team, tough team. How have you managed to assemble a squad and keep everybody, everybody together? Did you inherit quite a lot of that squad? Aye, we were really, really fortunate that normally when you take over a role, obviously the majority of the time it's because things haven't been going well at the club and, you know, the manager's been moved on or has walked out or whatever it may be and it couldn't have been further for the case at, at Whitburn. They were, they were a club on their way back after a few a few years of kind of almost just cruising, if you like, but for... for the last management team had them for a couple of years, and they certainly had, you know, they put together a really strong squad. Uh, the year, the season before last, they, they were fortunate enough to pick up one of the local cup competitions. They were challenging for the league title, and for various personal reasons for the management, they decided to move on. But it left us in a really fortunate position that we didn't have to have to rebuild and and restructure and and put together something from scratch. We were left with you know, a full squad that was very good, but obviously, as lockdown stretched out, it was apparent that one or two of the boys wanted to go and try themselves in the senior game and things. So we were always going to have to bring some bodies in, but we had a really good sort of uh, basis to start from, which is unusual, and I thought would give me a really good start. But obviously, we expected to be playing games a bit quicker. Obviously. Down the divisions covers everything from the kind of first division of Scotland all the way down and in, in different areas. I always like to try and tell our audience a little bit about the club and is it is a kind of unique club in the way it's sat in the town, isn't it? It just sits in behind the shops there and the, the wee the wee social club. And I remember, you know, growing up, Whitburn were a, a huge club through there. Can you tell maybe some of our listeners who's maybe not familiar with Whitburn a little bit about the club? Aye, well, I mean, uh, like you, Paul, sadly, I know it doesn't look it, but we're about the same age. Uh, who's kidding? <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't know who that's good for and who it's bad for. Uh, when when I was playing, 
and had a short spell through in, in the East. When I was playing, Whitburn was always one of the big names. Playing in the West, you didn't want to draw them in the Scottish, you didn't want to get them in any of the, the competitions, and, and you always knew when you were going there, you, you were going to play in front of a big crowd, and you were going to play against a good side at a really tough venue to go and get results. As you say, it's pretty much in the town centre. It's right off the main street, uh, surrounded by shops and houses. So it's right in the heart of the community. It's It can be, when the, the club's going well, it can be a focal point for that community, for everybody to come and join. So the, the potential for them, and it's one of the attractions for me, was the, the potential of the club. You know, the support is there if we can... Uh, give them something that's entertaining and something that's consistent where they know there's games going to be on. You know, there's there's uh, it's an old an old saying. I hate using it, but it's a sleeping giant. It's a club that's. Uh, I remember going to play there and and playing the coup shed was full. The full length of the park was absolutely rammed full when we played there, uh, and that's what we're aspiring to put a team. You know, Paul mentioned the game we played against them. We'll try to put an exciting team together that when supporters are allowed back in, hopefully we can, when they come through the door, if we can attract them through the door, we keep them. And you, you certainly have got that and full credit to you because they were probably one of the, the, the best teams we played against. Also, a, a terrific team. Uh, kind of back on to the club, I often say that even like our club, if we were in the heart of our village, if we were in the kind of middle of the town, most junior teams or semi-professional teams are kind of on the outskirts of the town. What kind of crowd would you expect if you know you know would the crowds come back and watch you if if you were doing well? Because it, it is literally in the middle of the main street. Aye, it is. I mean, I think clearly last season we've been coming to an end early it was before my time with the club but I think somebody said to me they averaged about 150 160 last year uh, but last year they were in a division that had a number of teams from further afield there was teams from Fife there was teams from uh, other side of Edinburgh in the league predominantly that didn't necessarily bring the biggest travelling support so that was that was largely run by by their own support we were so excited about this season because I know people have been quite critical of the juniors and saying that there's only one division left through there and it's a, you know, it's I've heard people saying it's dying and things like that. And, and to be honest, this year, that was kind of been further for the truth. The, it became a West Lothian league this year. So give or take two or three teams out of that, everybody else was based in a really small radius of each other. So it was going to be derbies every week. We were expecting those crowds, you know, that those clubs would bring some supporters with them to the games, which would add to the gate. Obviously, there's some local interest as well when your your local team's playing against your workmates team and things. So you'll get some not so regulars coming along, and then you know if we could get on a winning run, which we were confident to do, and start to provide some some entertainment, you know, we expected to see those figures go up quite quite considerably from the season before. But in terms of the potential, Paul, you're absolutely right. You know, it's perfectly located. It's it's a relatively small town anyway. The way it's it's situated, uh, you know, it's, uh, nobody's got a long trip to get to the game. There's plenty of boozers round about it for people to go and get a wee beer before it. Not to mention the social club attached to the side of it. So uh, the potential the potential's huge, and it's, I know we. We're going back a few years now to when I was playing uh, against them and things, but 
there had to be six, six, seven, eight hundred at those games easily at that time, and and you know that wasn't even the big games they were playing in then. So potential's always there. You touched on the on the league setup there. Uh, obviously, the majority of our listeners will know the setup now. We are we were all junior clubs, and then we the west left, uh, the east remained juniors, and the north remained juniors. You've also through there. I've got the East of Scotland League, which is a semi-professional league that is in the pyramid system for clubs like Whitburn and 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 so there's the West Lothian League. Is it an ambition to to move into these leagues and into the pyramid system, or are they quite happy by saying, "Well, well you you hit it on the head there. You know, we could get you know maybe two three hundred people coming to watch derbies every week," or I've also heard some teams possibly applying to come through to the West. Is that something that, that, that Whitburn would be looking to do, or are you guys just happy where you are? No, I th- look, I can't speak for everybody in the league. Uh, part of the attraction for Whitburn to me when I sat down and spoke to them last year was they're still an ambitious club. They're 87-year-old this year, uh, and take out maybe the first 20, 30 years, they've been a relatively successful club since... You know, and the, certainly the second half of that, and they now understand where their, you know, where their place is. That they they are one of the bigger outfits in that area, or potential to be one of the bigger outfits in that area. So they are ambitious, and we had that conversation. You know, the decision was made to stay junior last season, and I think it was it was largely driven by the thought of some unfinished business because. At that point, eighty six years a junior club, you don't nobody wants to finish on half a season. You know, they, they were in the running for the league title. Whether they would have went on to, to win it or not, I don't know. But they were certainly competing. I think they were four points off the top with a game in hand. Had just beat the league leaders just the week before it had all broken up. So the decision was made they wanted to finish strongly in the juniors. So the ambition of the club is to step out of the juniors now and move into senior football. Uh, and that was part of the attraction for me. I want to be involved as they go up. This year was about building towards that. Whilst be trying to be competitive and trying to win the league we were in, it was about building to go into that. What league we're going to, Paul? I don't know. I'll leave that up to the club. And you know, I know all I know is the club have done everything they can now to to be accepted into the the leagues for next year, and we just await the decisions. That that seemed to be some sort of conflicting. Rumours, shall we say, going around that that Whitburn had applied to join the East of Scotland, and there were other rumours going around saying that they were that they've applied to join the West. Some people were saying maybe they've done both and they're hedging their bets just in case they don't get accepted into one. Do you, I mean, can you say if any applications have been made yet, or if those rumours are, if there's any truth in those rumours? To be perfectly honest, I don't know. I don't know. I know the club have made that application. Uh, but I don't know what one of the two that is they asked me what my thoughts were and I gave it to them but I left it on the on the understanding that no matter how successful or unsuccessful I am at the club my tenure will be short in terms of the overall history of the club they've got to they're the, the custodians they've got to look after the club and they've got to make the right decision for the club whether that be East, West, South, stay junior, do whatever you want to do. So I've deliberately stayed out of that uh, and just said to them that my only request in it is that we play senior next season. Uh, I need them to play senior next season because 
the players have got that's that's their want that's their aim that's their ambition and you know we want to keep this squad together because we think this squad can go a long long way they're a young squad uh, and we think if we can keep them together we can go a long way with them with some changes you know each year obviously to freshen it up and as people move on but uh, yeah we'll see where the club takes is it a surprise to me as well as you and I think with the team that you've got to hold on to those players, they're gonna have, they're gonna want to, to to step up and have a go at kind of senior football. But just when you're talking there, and in my head, it actually makes sense. I think, wouldn't it, to to regionalise it because you take Whitburn, who are classed as probably a, 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 an East team, but then you've got ourselves and Shorts and Kerluk and Les Mahego and and that kind of real central belt corridor, the fourth West Calder as well. There's actually an argument to actually, we could actually go back to regional leagues, I suppose, couldn't there? Because if you go, for, for you to come into the West and have to travel to Maybole, or yeah, you're in the East and travel, I don't know, Trinent and stuff like that as well, isn't it? But there's well, an argument to regionalise it. Absolutely, Paul. I mean, we could, uh, if, if the club decided they wanted to go West, you could be looking at Garvin, Maybole, Kello. But if you go east, you could be Galafaridine on a Tuesday night, uh, or you know you could be other end of Fife up at St Andrews or something like that. And and a lot of the stuff around the east is around the the Edinburgh bypass, which during COVID isn't too bad. But any other time of the year, it's you know you've got to take a week off your work to get in there for two nights. So, <laughs> uh, I look there's pros and cons to both of it. I genuinely don't care what one of the two we go into from a footballing point of view because I think we've got a team that will compete and do well in either of the two uh, I have my own personal preference which I'll keep to myself uh, of where we finish up but like I say I've left it firmly with the, the committee members at the club they're, they're the one, they'll still be here when I'm long gone so they're the ones that need to live with their decision just now and you know the most important thing for me was they had that ambition to get out We've never made a statement saying that we're officially going out, so this will be the first that a lot of the supporters know for certain that the club are now aiming to go out. We recently done like a, a an interview series with the players every day on Facebook on our club page to because again <laughs> I've got players that have been at the club now for nine months and the fans have never seen them or never met them, so it was a chance to get to know a little bit about these lads. And uh, somebody mentioned one of the committee members that was involved in it had mentioned it and and. There was a good response from that as well. The fan, the appetite of the fans is to try and do this as well. I think I spoke to Alec McDowell, who obviously has now went and done the 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 juniors through in the east and is looking after the full thing. Do you see this as I'm not saying the death of junior football because I still think teams can keep their membership and, and we've still got a great trophy that everyone wants to play in that Junior Scottish Cup. But would you see now the majority of teams moving and really only leaving the the North League as as junior? I don't know, to be honest. It depends how many decide to move this year. Obviously, we are looking to come out and it's no secret that I think it was... And I might have this wrong because, again, relatively new to the East, but I think it was Livingston that were accepted to the East of Scotland last year, but had just missed the deadline date. So I don't know whether they still intend to or not, but I'm sure 
there's a possibility maybe one or two other clubs will come out. And we only had 12 in the league this year. Uh, so I don't know whether I'd say it was the death of it, but it will certainly need to be uh, re-energised as well from you know clubs coming from, I don't know whether it be top amateur sides coming in or there may be teams ready to step out of the east of Scotland or the west of Scotland, I don't know. Hey. I actually think that, and I'm not saying anything that maybe Alec has said to me or, or, or told me, but I actually think, you know, it's difficult for me to say. I'm not saying Alec did say this, but I think he's went in there to be the custodian of it, look after junior football, and if it's a case of winding it up to a conclusion, then do you know what? It's job done e- either way. But I actually, when I look at the quality of teams through there, Jamie, yourselves, we even played West Calder. What a difference in a football club and a football yeah. team, you know, from the last couple of years. There's some real good teams through there. The, do you know what? They should be. They should be. We should all be back in the league together. I genuinely believe it would have been one of the most exciting. Take, take what the names and whatever level you want to call it. Take that out of it. This, without question, would have been one of the most competitive leagues in the country this year. You know, Falthouse had brought Chris Mackey in and had built a new team there. Uh, in a very similar style to what we'd done, he brought a lot of young lads out of the senior game that wanted to get back senior again and, and reinvent themselves, and he, he sprinkled some experience into it. Very similar to what we did. Bonus invested heavily. You know, they've now found their feet as a junior club again while the senior club carry on. Uh, and... We, we played them in a friendly, we played them in one of the two league games. They're a very, very good side with some smashing players. You mentioned West Calder, they've invested heavily. The One of the newer teams into the league, Syngenta, had, you know, sort of, uh, I think it's fair to say they had invested heavily in their squad as well and had, had run up some good results and we had a cracking game against them in a friendly as well. So, uh, and that's, that's me not mentioned Armadale, who are a very good outfit with a cracking setup and a big support. And then you've got clubs like Bathgate, another sleeping giant there. Uh, you know, there, there's not really any small clubs that were left. Pumferston are ambitious, you know. They're a, they're a good team as well that were riding high in the league the year before. I'd mentioned Livingston wanting to be in the East of Scotland the year before. So these are all good clubs with lots of experience and good sort of uh, a good mix of young players coming through but some real quality old narrowed juniors if you like and they're trying to teach these boys and I don't think in that league this year there would be anybody expecting to romp away with that league I know there was probably five or six teams that had real strong belief that they would go and win it uh, and you know we'd certainly include ourselves within that but say the five, six, maybe even seven teams that could genuinely look at the squad on paper and believe that they were in with a really good chance. So I, it would have been a really exciting league. And to go back to what you were saying about custodian of the, the junior league, yeah, maybe it does need to be that, you know, it's either everybody or nobody because maybe that's the, the cleanest way to do it and give all these clubs a chance to go on. But that's somebody else's decision. That's not for me. I've got to look after what's best or the influence I've got on what's best for Whitburn. Uh, and make sure that we're in the right place to to keep our players happy, keep the supporters happy, and give us the best chance to to fulfil the ambitions we want to we want to get to. If somebody said to you in your first nine months in management you'd have had one defeat, 
I'm guessing you'd have probably uh, you'd have probably taken that. You had uh, you beat Socky in your opening game on December the first, three one, and then you lost to Bonus three uh, one. A couple of weeks later, you're in seventh after those two games. Obviously, there was a disparity because of yeah. some people played a lot more a lot more games than than you had. But that those first two games as the man in charge. Was it what you thought it would be? I know you've had coaching experience. I know you've been a coach for 12 years at Lark Hall and, and Arthurley, but was it what you thought it would be? Was it a different range of emotions when you were the guy calling the shots? Oh, without doubt, yeah. I mean, it, right from day one, even before the games, my eyes were open to how much, obviously, I'd, I'd worked with Sinking Dam for a number of years at, at Lark Hall and Arthurley, and I must have been a pain in the ass, a pain in the backside. Sorry to Big Sinky because he was. Uh, I was always throwing ideas at him, and and I wondered why sometimes he just he just ignored me. But believe me, I now get it. Uh, the range of emotions probably. I, I get so engrossed in a game, regardless of what position I'm playing. Uh, you know, whether I'm on the park, whether I'm coach, whether I'm. I'm thinking. I, I feel it all, but I felt a lot more responsible. That's for sure. Uh, Felt great after the Socky game. <laughs> didn't, feel, didn't feel so good after the Bonnes game. But actually, it was strange because I thought the Socky, we did okay against Socky. I thought we were really nervous, and I don't know, we've been so good in the friendlies up to it. And then we suddenly looked nervous in that game, and I think it was just because it was a competitive game. Uh, against Bonnes, I thought we played far better than we did against Socky. Uh, and look, all credit to Bonnes, they scored, they took their chances, they scored, but we should have went in comfortably ahead at half-time. Uh, we didn't. And then in the second half, we lost two goals, one in injury time, one with 10 minutes to go, one in injury time, we're chasing the game, and I, I hold my hand up to that. I went after it and tried to get a point back, uh, which, you know, I make no, I told the players after the game it was my fault, and I make no apologies for it. I'll always try and get a point out of a game of if we're in a losing position uh, and I left us a bit exposed at the back throw into that unfortunately on the day we missed two penalty kicks we missed a number of one-on-one chances in the first half uh, and we went down to 10 men late on as well although that didn't have a huge influence we were already 2-1 down by then uh, yeah look it was it was a sort of frying pan start but Overall, I was really happy with the way we played. And Bonnes, like I say, Bonnes will be up there or thereabouts at the end of the season. So it was no disgrace to go there and be beaten. It was just very frustrating because I felt it was points that got away from us. I don't even think we should have drew the game. We should have won the game. Uh, but, you know, they took their chances and fair play to them. You mentioned there you, you were 12 years coach. Yeah, it's quite a long apprenticeship to, before stepping up into the manager's post. What made you decide to, to go for the managerial position and uh, how did it come about? Uh, to be honest, let's say 12 years, there was 10 years at Lark called Thistle, but there was a gap in the middle of, I think it was two, two and a half seasons, where I took some time out. Uh, my son's football was at an important stage and I had to take time out to, you know, to be running about after him and things like that. So uh, there was a gap. I would say before that actually happened, I'd, I'd had a chat we think at one point there was a particular job came up one of the lower leagues in the west, and it was him that had said to me, it was a you know club I'd been at previously and things, and he'd said to me, do you not fancy going for that one? You know, do you not fancy it one day? And I, I don't think I ever sat down and 
say they want to be a manager, but I think it was just kind of assumed between us that it would at some point. But in all honesty, with my work commitments and my son's football when he was younger and things, I just didn't really have the... I could commit to the two nights into the Saturday. But as you know, Paul, <laughs> it's a little bit more than that when, you, when you get the magic phone. Oh, it's uh, unreal, isn't it? And there was no way I could commit to that. He's a bit older now and, uh, you know, work's now settled to where I know how I can work around it. And to be fair, the management team I've brought in can be left to go on with if, if I'm not available at that on a particular training night or something like that. So uh, it just felt the time was right. Arthur Laid came to an end, or, you know, the, we'd uh, left Arthur Laid, I think it was last... February, I think it was, that it came to an end. And it wasn't a case of the uh, deciding we were going to split and go different ways. We, you know, I asked Sinky what his thoughts were and if he was going to carry on or wait till the next opportunity came up or anything. And we just decided we'd keep our eyes open as a group. Uh, and then I was approached from a second, you know, somebody I knew that had connections to the club at Whitburn and told that that would be a good one. You know, I want a good one to look at. It got my attention straight away. Whitburn, Whitburn hold a, a sort of infamous piece in my heart at one point. Uh, and I remember how big a club they were from the Scottish Cup final. So uh, as soon as that name was mentioned for me, I thought, well, I'm, I'm going to stick my name in and see what happens. And then the first time I sat down and spoke with the president and uh, particularly... Alec and, and Robert that were on the interview are, are really good people and do a lot for the club but to sit down and, and really feel the enthusiasm from Robert Nan Haddo that every club has a Robert Nan Haddo you know that, that, that do all the the day to day work for the club and things like that to feel their enthusiasm it was just a no brainer uh, Did you say did I hear you right you said they, they held an infamous place in your career? Yeah, I was part I, I was part of the 2000 Scottish Cup final squad for Johnsonborough and we get beaten penalties by Whitburn. Oh, okay. Uh, which the aforementioned Robert Haddo tends to mention at least three or four times in every conversation that we have. Uh, so, yes. And as I say, I, rem- I remember for those days how big, how big a club they were. So, And you touched on Robert Nan there. Uh, Obviously, Anne welcomed us to the when we when we come and played you. She was the one taking all the temperatures as we come in. She's a lo- lovely lady, really really nice. Did they have much of a committee and a much of a back in there? Yeah, one of the larger committees I've been involved in. I think they obviously have the uh, the kind of office bearers, if you like, uh, and I think there's five or six of the office bearers. But the I think the overall general committee is about 14, 15 people. Wow. So. You know, they are well supported in the local community. I think the, the committee themselves will tell you that they're on a constant uh, push for some younger blood to come into the, the committee uh, with a view to maybe further down the line in the future and things. But where they are at the moment, they are 14 of the most passionate people. I've sat in a couple of the committee meetings now and uh, there's no shrinking violets that sit in the corner. They'll, they'll all say their piece and... and you know, do they always have the same answers? No, of course they don't, but that's what makes it work. That's what makes it 
the, the club a success is because everybody's doing it from from the heart. You know, these these are the people that, like I said before, they've some of them have been here for I don't know thirty years, and some of them will be here for another thirty more, God willing. So you know, I'm only here for a short time, whatever whatever length that is. These are the people that are the heartblood of the the or the heartbeat of the club, and you know. I'm sure they would ask me tonight to to speak to local people in the area and say if if you know if you want to get involved if you want to help out they're always open their doors to other people but right now we're well supported I know of other committees that are a lot less than that. Do you know it's actually when you're you're involved in the club you're a manager of the club you don't actually see the or you do see the work players don't see the work that goes on in the, in the background and through the kind of times that we've gone through just now and people are fed up and people you know maybe reflect on life a wee bit getting involved volunteering at a I'm going to say semi-professional football club is a real opportunity for people isn't it and you know you see people talk about mental health and uh, just when you when you brought that up there it'd be great to see some people going out now on the back of this and if there's something positive comes out of Covid it is gets more volunteers into clubs give, give yourself it gives your you can't speak for everybody you don't know their own circumstances but for me it gives people a focus it gives them a you know something to get their teeth into it gives them the possibility to socialize with other people uh, it gives them a ch- <laughs> we'll all know it gives them a chance to vent on a saturday when crowds are allowed back and things are they going well they got a chance to to let some of that anguish go from during the week and things and uh, you know that goes from the players right through the committee you know, I, I was I was a fan of us keeping going as much as we could through through this. I totally and completely respect the clubs that pulled out the leagues this year, and I think that's probably they probably made the tougher decision, if if the truth be truth told. But uh, I, again, I left that in the hands of the committee. But I was a fan of of carrying on, and I was a fan of carrying on because I've got twenty young lads there. You know, in particular, the vast, I think from the 20, something like 16 of them are under 23 years old. So a lot of them are students. And with the colleges and things closing down, these boys had no other outlet than their football. And, you know, it, it's tough for them. It's really tough for them. And, uh, you know, I've spent the last few months really learning that side of the, the management side of things and, and, and having a keep lads in, involved and that goes to the other side that goes to the committee as well and and uh, you know some of the committees I say are a little bit older and maybe living on their own so having that contact whether it be through social media now or whether it be through zoom just having that contact has given them something to focus on over the last couple of weeks we've been speaking about will it go back are we going to go back and Kenny Young come on last week and of course I love Kenny he Anything that we bring up, he either contacts us, if we've got any queries. His comments last week were, we'll not be chucking in the towel. We'll not be chucking in the towel. We're going to keep going, whatever way that, that is, until you know we're on, we're on plan Z, and until that ends, we're not giving up. But I was reading an article this week in the Lancashire Live, and it was by the West of Scotland, uh, I think Dave McKenna is the league chairman and, and and the heading was vaccine rollouts provide glimmer of hope and he's went on to say 
that they're going to wait till March now because obviously that's when we're suspended. But then they're going to take a view on it. And he's now saying that there is a glimmer of hope in all this and that if they can get some games played and some of the season played, then that'll be great. But something's come up at our club this week where we've got a wee problem with the park. I've mentioned it on here before where December, November, December, we can't get games played. And that over the years has gone this November, December, January. And then we've had the freak weather this year. Of I'm saying freak weather. It's happened in other years where it's been snowing in, in, in February. And I had somebody out to look at our park this week. Then I'm thinking, to cure this, we need to put a maintenance programme in place. If we can't do that now, and then we're mm. going to go back, and then the season's going to run possibly to June, then it's going to give us a short window of before the next season starts. I was all in favour of going back, playing a couple of games, and I put the re- think about it realistically. It'd be very, very difficult for us to try and maintain the park and, and get works done. What's your thoughts, to Jamie? I know your part's good through there and stuff like that. Are you guys desperate to just get back playing football in, in any any capacity? Aye, I, w- I want to go back and play. Aye, uh, as long as it's safe, as long as it's safe for for the players, as long as it's safe for the committee. And it's more, I've got to be honest, it's more the committee members I worry about just with the the age yeah. geograph or the age graphics and things like that. But. Uh, I know you say our part's good. We we have a problem corner at the park, and and I know having spoke to the committee this week, they're doing some work just now on it, and they're putting some new drainage in to more with a view to making sure it's right for next season. But yeah, I get. I think we're getting to the point. I don't know whether the first of March, but certainly they seem to push it back a fortnight each time now. I think we need a decision made whether that's in a fortnight or I would suggest really the latest, maybe four weeks time. Uh, because we're going to need a week or two just to get the players sharpened up before we do anything and you know we've got 20 league games left to play uh, with no floodlights so we're going to struggle to get that full league in not speaking on behalf of Whitburn speaking on behalf of myself if the the league turned in the now and said look we'll we'll start the league again but we'll just play each other once I would take that just now just to give us some competition to get it in but if that was the available, if they turned and said you can play friendlies to the end of the season, I'd take it because I just want to get the boys back active again and I know they're raring to go. But like I say, I'm not a doctor. Uh, I'm, I'm a football lover, so as long as it's safe for them. But we did everything they asked the first time round. You know, you've seen when you came to our place, the players came in, they were changing in the stands, they had separate ends of the yeah. stands to train. Uh, they were met with a, a temperature gun when they came in. All the hand sprays were there. All the gear was all sprayed before they went out. Players were asked to leave as soon as the game finished. Players were in the car sharing. We, we we followed every procedure. And we got to the stage where we were actually allowed to open the changing rooms for the last two home games, albeit they were both called off. But we'd got permission to open the changing rooms because we now had them set out in social distancing. And we followed everything at quite an expense to the to the club it has to be said uh, but unfortunately we've not been able to get there but I think I personally would like to see it carry on but I, more than that I'd like to see a decision like say Paul you could go on with doing your part for the next three months if if you knew there was go, not going to be any games you could actually yeah. you know get on with it and do it people can plan I guess even the players can start making decisions about what they want to do next season if, if they know there's not going to be any games going on 
uh, or they can they can buckle down and we can get we've kept the boys ticking over just now, but we can really start to ramp up knowing we're going back in two, three, four weeks time uh, and, and get the training appropriate to it. You obviously you mentioned Sinky Duncan Sinclair, who you've uh, you've worked in. How much of an influence has he been on you as a coach and then now as a manager? If you like, even though he's not you know by your side. Oh, uh, massive, massive. I was just speaking to him last week. Uh, yeah, massive influence. Sinky and I we had a short time together at the end of his career as players. We were in the same short squad together, and that's Tam. McLaughlin that was part of the management team was, was in that team as well and uh, Sinky and Tam were there a lot longer than me I was only there for a short period but uh, got on very well at that time and then when I went up to, he'd just taken over at Lark Hall when I went up to to do the goalkeeping coaching role beside him uh, and kind of grew closer and closer while we were there but he's a man that eats, sleeps and breathes football you know and if he pro- in particular, junior football, as was, you know, he he just loves the game. He loves everything about it, and and that passion just can't help but roll off on everybody around about him, you know. And and what? the two is can fight like cat and dog at times as well. <laughs> <laughs> what well, what about uh, what about people who say goalie, goalies never make managers? Goalies they never played outfield. What do they know about outfield players? Now I remember Mike Walker. Remember the Norwich manager Mike Walker? He was yeah. a goalie, wasn't he? And I always remember him saying the advantage goalies have when they when they've been playing the game, they were almost managing the game as well, and they were watching the game as a whole in front of them. So actually, they were the best place, or they are the best place people to see the game as a whole. What do you say to people who say, "Well, what the goalies know about management?" I would say they weren't the goalies in the first place. Hey, <laughs> now nah, look. Some goalies will be hopeless managers. Uh, some centre forwards will be hopeless managers. Some centre halves will be hopeless managers. It's more down to the person's own individual characters. Yes, a goalkeeper can see the whole game going on. Central midfielder lives and breathes the whole game because he's right in the middle of the field. You know, uh, take centre forwards out. They're always selfish. They're always up there. They're not really worried about the team. Uh, but everybody else, yeah, I think. It's down to the individual character, you know. If you can, if you understand the game, it doesn't matter what position you played. Uh, you just understand, and you have a you have a belief in how you want to see the game being played. You know, I played for some teams that were that were a joy to watch. I played for other teams that were horrific to watch, and some of the teams that weren't so good to watch were more successful than the ones that were great. Uh, but you can pick and choose for the back because you get to watch the game for probably 85 minutes of the 90. Uh, and that's that was it. I always knew from day one that I wanted to, to stay involved in the game after I finished playing. And I had to finish, well, I finished playing when I was quite young. So uh, I was always going to stay involved, whether it be coaching or, or management. It's just evolved that way. And when you done your coaching, Jamie, were you, did, did you go into like Larko as the goalie coach or were you in there as... A general coach? No, I was in as a goalie coach. I was in as a goalie coach. Stephen uh, Sinke had just taken over. I think Larkall had just been relegated to the bottom division for the first time in a number of years when he took over. Uh, and uh, he was in as the manager with Stephen McNulty as the assistant manager, myself as a goalie coach. 
and Royal Albert's manager just now, Stuart Thompson, was a fitness coach. Uh, and we just worked as a team, basically, and and gradually came back through the divisions while we were while we were there. But uh, yeah, more specialised than that. Wasn't really involved with the outfielders too often, and certainly not in the outset anyway. But I used to get involved in some of the fitness stuff with them. But you know, thinking Dan were pretty decent players. Let them tell the outfielders how to be outfielders. <laughs> Just go back to that December the 1st, uh, your first game being December the 1st. Just in case listeners weren't aware, I mean, you guys started later than the likes of Paul and, at New Mains. And, and what, what, what was the what was the sort of reasoning behind that in, in the kind of when, when, when the leagues put, put that out to you? And what did you think of that at the time when you were sitting there having to watch other leagues starting? Uh, frustrated, yeah, but the decision was made pretty early. I can't remember the exact sequence of events, but... Uh, our league took a decision that they were going to kick off the last week in November. And I think that was early to mid-October they made that decision. And I think there was some there was some talk at that point about potential of changing rooms being open by then and, and maybe spectators been allowed in in some capacity by round about that period. And I think the decision was just make it, taken by the league that will just delay till then and give it the best possible opportunity. It allowed for the full league campaign campaign to be played, but losing some weekends for for weather. So, in hindsight, it's probably a sensible decision. It was frustrating, as you say. You know, I think for the first four or five weeks it was all right because we could pull friendlies from wherever we wanted. But we were three weeks away from the league starting, and the West leagues all kicked off, which meant we could no longer go and play new mains in a friendly. We now had to take friendlies against teams in our own league because we were the only league in the country not playing anymore. And the amateurs weren't allowed to play, so you couldn't even play against the amateur teams. So you were really restricted to playing your biggest rivals before you even start a league campaign. So that was a little bit frustrating. Uh, but at least we had a date to work to. And then as happens in Scotland, that first week that we'd all built up to for months and months on end, the game got called off because of the weather. <laughs> as it happens so that's why we ended up on the first or whatever it was in December and even then we had to play soccer down at Dunny Pace just to get the game on Hi it's Murdo McKinnon Port Manager here and you're listening to Down the Divisions Now here's Roach's Roundup with Coburnie Lightside Assistant Boss Des Roach We start down at Glenafton Athletic they've appointed former striker Mike McCann as their new manager the 30 year old moved up the A77 to St Caddox with excellent Afton boss Craig McCune this summer as one of the 11 of the mass exodus from Lock Park. McCann, however, has now called time in his own playing career to focus on his management duties, and with no players currently signed, he certainly has a busy few months ahead. I know the feeling. Now, onto some transfer news and signing that may have gone under the radar. Brecon have signed a vastly experienced and ex Patrick Thistle captain, Abdul Osman. He teams up again with his old teammate and new Brecon City boss, Michael Payton. The pair were together last year down at Queen of the South. Also returning to Glebe Park for another spell is tricky frontman Bobby Barr, who has left Forfar. Talking of Forfar, they've re-signed powerful centre-half Andy Monroe. The Edinburgh-based defender leaves Stenhouse Muir, but he was a regular and the current captain. He is signed to 2023. Joining him at Forfar is another man of many clubs in Grant Anderson. The tricky winger joins until the end of the season after leaving high-flying Kelty Hearts. Over at Bonnie Rig Rose, manager Robbie Horns has extended the contract of left-sided defender Andy Mayer. He's committed to the club until the end of the 2022 season. 
And finally, back in the West, an urban meadow have taken a giant step further forwards to obtaining their SFA licence. They've now installed floodlights at Meadow Park for the first time in their 124-year history. OK, guys, back over to you. I'm Adam Hopes, co-manager of Drumchapel United, and you're listening to Down the Divisions. Whitburn Juniors boss Jamie Sanderlands is with us. Uh, Jamie, we mentioned uh, you were a goalkeeper. Was that always the case? Is that where you always played your days, or, or you know, did you did you kind of was it, was it something that happened by accident as a kid? Uh, probably the same story as everybody that ever ended up in goals. I, I, I played outfield for about the first year, I think it was, and then our goalkeeper never turned up one day. Uh, we were playing, I think, under nines, and we were six years old, so we were years below we were getting hammered every week uh, and I said I would go in goals I happened to make a couple of saves that day and everybody patted me on the back on the way off so I thought I love this I'm going to be a goalkeeper uh, got to about 13 or 14 and hated being a goalkeeper and wanted to play <laughs> out but realised that ship had sailed by then uh, and and decided just to stick at what I felt gave me my best chance you know and you started out well you started out at Motherwell yeah, I was at Motherwell from the age of I think about eleven to fourteen. Uh, then I did the I went up to Dundee United for a little while, kind of the S form thing with Graham Livingston, who was based at Hamilton at the time, uh, and then came back to to Hamilton Ackies, and then finished up at youth football, finished up back at Motherwell again. And how did you sort? Of- Transition from boys club to to model go. We just scouted playing for your local boys club, buddy, and then uh, I was actually at Motherwell Boys Club at the time. I had moved right. from uh, I started most boys in Lanarkshire at that time. Started in East School Bride League, and I was at a wee club called East School Bride Borough, uh, and we'd done very well. By the time we got up to the right age, we'd done very well, and. Uh, Brian McGinty played the the same team another boy that's been as in the juniors with a smashing team and uh, I went to Motherwell Boys Club and it was kind of semi-linked to the club at that time it wasn't the full link that it became uh, but in that first season I think we were uh, three or four of us got asked to go up and train on a Monday night with Motherwell so you still played with your own your own team and then and trained and as I say, I stayed at my little boys club for a couple of those years, but carried on at the S form training, if you like, without having signed anything and trained up at Bells Hill on a Monday night. And you were saying Lee McCulloch was in the same team back then as you at Motherwell? Lee, Lee's actually, I think, a f- off of memory, I think Lee is the year younger than me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was when, by this point, we were under 18s. So, I mean, we had a we had a strong squad at, at Motherwell at that time. I think the left-back, uh, him and Lee, ended up going to Wigan together. Stephen McMullen. Stephen McMullen. So studs and Jig went for, I think they went for about four million comp- between the two of them. But Stevie was a left-back. Centre-halves was Big Shieldsy. Uh, Greg Denham. Greg Denham, Stevie Cragen. That was the, the three centre-halves that were there. Uh, so we had Lee McCulloch up front. It was a... A really good, a really good squad that was there at the time. With the boy Roy Essendor, would he have been there as well at the time? He came over for a short. He was only at my for a short period, uh, but him and 
Crags came over together. Yeah. Uh, good team. A lot of boys from that squad actually went on and, and, and played in the first team. There was, aye, there was. Uh, it, was it was a good time at Mullow, to be fair, because even the age group above us was strong. The age group below us was strong as well. It was Back then, Mullow and Dundee United were really the two strongest academies, you know, both under the McLean brothers. And at that time, when we were coming through, I think I was about 15 or 16 when Mullow won the Scottish Cup. Uh, Dundee United were competing in those finals every year. Uh, it was different days, you know. Rangers and Celtic were obviously very powerful at that age, but uh, you know, Kilmarnock had a really, really good squad. They played under the the name of Belfield Boys. Uh, Motherwell had a strong squad. Hibs had a very strong squad, and and their squad was split pretty much fifty fifty east and west as well, because they had a, a strong west academy. And Hearts used to take an awful lot of boys from from the West through, you know, some boys I went to school with that were through there and, and things. So they had a strong squad as well. So it was, a, to be fair, it was a, you know, I've done a wee bit of scouting in the past myself and that was a strong age group, you know, between that sort of two or three year age bracket, it was quite a strong group. But, uh, yeah, Mullow had quite a few got to the first team, not me, but <laughs> plenty of others that made it. And then you said, kind of off air before we spoke, they then farmed you out at a young age and that was kind of where you discovered, I suppose, junior football? I was kind of thrown into it a little bit. It was a... When they say farmed me out, it was a little bit of an emergency thing. Kaluk Rovers, goalkeeper, had got injured and they needed somebody for the last six games of the season. Uh, I think it was about April time. And they came to Motherwell asking if they could have the... I think it was under... 20s goalie or whatever he was uh, Jamie Pickering and Jamie had a broken leg at the time so they'd asked for the next age group but of course the next age group was covering Jamie's position I was 14 playing in the under 16s and they asked if they could have the under 16s goalie Motherwell agreed to it and then I remember it was a time for Scythe phone my dad and was on the phone, I could hear my dad saying, do you think he's ready for that? <laughs> and I could hear Tam backtracking massively on the phone as he realised there was only 14. But we went up, played the last six games, and I, I just loved it. it was, you know, you were playing, you were no longer playing boys football, you were playing You were playing with men, it was a different setup. You know, that first game, we were playing Thornywood away, and I remember 20 minutes, it was the Grand National was on that day. And I can remember all the players standing in the bookies 20 minutes before the game. I just couldn't get my head around this. Uh, but it was something so exciting about it, you know. And we, uh, I was, I mentioned to you, we were, we were actually supposed to be playing in a cup semi-final the second leg that day. And it was 22 or 23 nothing up from the first leg. So I was expecting to be sitting down Strathclyde Park, sitting against my post for the afternoon. <laughs> and as it turned out, we were about six minutes into the game. We were 2 nothing down. And I had a cut from my ear right round to my nose along the side of my face and I was holding a cloth against it. And I just, I remember standing thinking, this is for me, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> and that was when I knew I was a goalie. <laughs> <laughs> and, and standing there thinking you love it because just it was the type of football getting stuck in about it that you kind of liked or, or is that? I don't know, I... I... I'd, look, I, I loved my time at Mullow and Hamilton and, and, and throughout Boys Club with some of the other ones I played with and everything, but you kind of felt as if 
you, you were playing against men now. It was a challenge. There was, I'm not saying, like, I was far from the best goalkeeper at my age. There was plenty of better goalkeepers than me. Uh, but I felt as if when I went into this, I was getting properly challenged. You know, there was, there was nothing was going to come easy. Nothing, you know, that standing there having that cut, I think that's what that illustrated because, you know, the you got the proverbial elbow on the side of the, the coupe and then get picked up and get told to go back to school on the Monday and, you know, all the, the old cheesy lines and everything. But I thought, oh, that, this is just, it's for me. I don't know. I can't describe what it was. I just I just enjoyed it. Did uh, did you end up going through then? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't think they kept a clean sheet, though. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, I think it's final. You, you mentioned Hamilton as well. I mean, Hamilton as well. I mean, they've got obviously got a great reputation for bringing through through kids now. Um, how was your time there? I loved it at Hamilton. Uh, I lived in Hamilton at the time, so it was perfect for me. Uh, cost me a good bit of my fourth year at high school, to be perfectly honest. But uh, I, I loved it. Hamilton had a, they were a bit of a yo-yo club at the time. They went, you know, it was the old Douglas Park, so we used to train in the car park out the front, uh, if not down at. Strathclyde Park and uh, it, was, it was just uh, Hamilton was a family club at the time you know everybody knew everybody it was, I'm sure it's still the same but everybody knew each other and I got on very well with the, the actually the, the lad that was in the first team at the time who comes from New Mainsway Paul uh, Fergie Alan Ferguson I got on very well with Alan so Used to, to go and train with him for time to time, and you know they would they wouldn't be shy and phoning you saying because they knew I lived up the road, right? Manager wants to work on some stuff today. We need an extra keeper in, and and you'd go down. So you were kind of you were you were Hamilton had no airs of graces about him. You were as soon as you were there at probably 15, 16 year old, you were in and around the first team of the reserves. You know there was no massive structure to the club or anything like that. So. You were you were thrown right in. Obviously, the players had no wheels or graces about them, uh, and he, even then, I think Clyde were sharing with Hamilton at the time. So you had people like Charlie Nicholas floating about the place and and things. So uh, some good old experienced players to learn from, and some good young players going about at the time as well. Boys like uh, Colin Cram and Paul McDonald and things like that. So. You know, it was brilliant to be about. As I said, the time at Motherwell was the Scottish Cup winning team and my time at the reserves at Motherwell, David Cooper was put in charge of the reserves. So he was about, first season I was there, Bobby Russell was still there. So, you know, some proper names and then some characters like Colin O'Neill and Stevie Kirk <laughs> that were that were characters. Paul, Paul McGrillan, Phil O'Donnell, they were all about the place. So, you know, these these guys are these guys are proper football players, so it was good places good places to learn, but sadly it wasn't to be for me. Some of the other boys that went on and went well, but I'd found my place in the juniors and more than happy with that. I was gonna ask that. I mean, you said earlier on you've you've reeled off names that went on to play professionally and you said unfortunately, you know, you never did. You know, now you've got the benefit of hindsight. You know, we we sometimes speak to managers on on the show and ask them what what they would have thought of themselves as a player if they were having to manage themselves. Why why do you when you look back now, why didn't you join them in the in the professional ranks? Do you think? Oh, I'd love to say as a goalkeeper it was my height. You know, I'm five foot eleven, and people round about me always told me you would have made it if you'd been bigger and things like that. 
it was nothing to do with that. I didn't have the right attitude to be a professional. Uh, I'd like to think I had some of the attributes, ability-wise, that you needed to have, but I didn't have the right attitude. I would train hard. You know, if if I was training twice a week, I would train hard twice a week. If I trained five days a week, I was training hard five days a week. But I'd done nothing away from the ground. Absolutely nothing away from the ground. And, you know, uh, I liked to socialise my mates. I wasn't, you know, a huge drinker or anything like that. I didn't fall down some of those pitholes that other people have. But I still went and hung about my mates and, and did all of that, which is fine. But I think the ones that really make it are the ones that sacrifice all of that. And that wasn't. That wasn't a sacrifice that at that point in my life I was prepared to make. I bitterly regret not doing it. And, you know, I've kind of drummed that into to my own son that not that he has to do it, that if he wants to make it, he has to do it. Uh, and, you know, that's his choice whether he does that or not. But my attitude at the training ground was good. My attitude on a match day would be good. Some managers will <laughs> say argumentative, but it was a good attitude. It was for the right reasons. But... Uh, away for the ground I didn't do anything to help myself Do you also do not think though, Jamie that being a goalkeeper there is only one slot on a Saturday you could be a centre half coming through and you know, I've seen it a lot of times at Fir Park at Muddle you know somebody like Paul Quinn would come through the reserves centre back plays there every week gets his chance to play him at right back Brian McLean boys at like that so there's maybe two or three other options that can, that can do it when you're, when you're a goalkeeper. For me, it's also about timing as well, whether a first-team keeper gets injured and then the reserve goes in. There's limited options, isn't it, on times? You certainly see boys who, and, and probably a great example, possibly at model Stevie Woods, who for a period of his life was a number two goalkeeper. You know, he, he, he got a spell, I think, after... Uh, Howie and that had left model, but for the, for the majority of his career, I would say he was probably a number two. Aye, I mean, not for the majority of his career, but certainly Alan McGregor's the same. Alan McGregor, maybe the first seven or eight years as a professional, he sat on the bench behind Gorham initially and then Stephen Kloss. And, yeah. you know, he's probably reaping the benefit of that now. Yeah. He's obviously done a lot of work himself to get there, but aye, look, as a goalkeeper, it is unique in as much as. I'd love to have went and played right back. I would have played right back for them. I wouldn't have brought him into the team, but I'd have played right back. Uh, but you do have to appreciate that sometimes you don't have to do anything wrong and you're not in the team. You know, there was times, even in the juniors, where I was maybe a number one choice, if you want to call it that, at the start of the season. And you maybe played two or three games and you had a wee tweak and you had to miss a game or two out and whoever went and done well. And they've got a jersey. It's their jersey now. And you've got to wait till they make mistakes. And I think the goalkeepers, it's strange because genuinely the old goalkeepers union does exist. You know, you, you see a goalkeeper making a mistake on the part, the first person in the dugout that's sticking up for him is usually the reserve goalkeeper. And yet he's the one that needs them to make the mistakes to, yeah. you know, to, to go on and, and get there. I think that helped me when it came to the goalkeeping coaching because I understood the mentality of that and, and where it came. But... It is tough, and even now, probably even more so now, because everybody expects everything immediately. And the kind of squad we are building at Whitburn now, as I say, we are trying to bring boys that have got senior experience and give them a chance to get back senior again. And we'll enjoy the benefits of that while we've had them. So these boys are ambitious, and if you've got them out of the team for two or three weeks in any position, 
they're asking questions, but quite rightly as a goalkeeper, they're you know they're sort of sitting thinking, well, if he does nothing wrong for the rest of the season, what am I going to do? And it's like, well, I'm afraid that's the position you've bought into, you know. And likewise, if you get yourself in, as long as you're consistent and you continue to perform, you'll knock him out. Uh, you know, worked for me numerous times in the juniors. Also worked against me. You know that Scottish Cup run we talk about. Uh, big Donny, big Alan Donahue was a goalkeeper down at uh, Johnstonborough, and I just couldn't shift them. To be honest with you, you know I got a couple of chances and done okay when I got my chances, but big man was so consistent. Not just for the the year, two years, whatever it was, I was there. But for seven or eight years, ten years, whatever he was there, he was very, very consistent. And when I went up to shots, I had a a good battle with Alan Calhoun. But Alan was very, very con- consistent and had the jersey to start the season. I just couldn't get him out. You know, you went in and played. They gave you a game here or there just to keep your eye in, and you played as well as you could. But rightly so, they went with the goalie that had been performing all season. But likewise, I was that number one in plenty of times. So, ah, it's it's difficult, but. If I'd went and walked harder away for the part, maybe I'd have made it, maybe I wouldn't, but I certainly wouldn't regret as much now as I do. I always think it's a hard position. It's where we had two quality keepers at the beginning of the season, and there's no way a club like ours, you can actually have two quality keepers. You have to have your number one, you have to maybe have a young lad that's coming through because my number two was a good one. I'm not number two because he he never ended up staying, but he's now at the fault house playing Dan Tobin. You know, Dan was with us. I was never going to be able to manage it. You know, Cami Farquhar are number one, and I think you make a great point. People want it now, don't they? And people are not really prepared to to kind of sit about for their chance. I think Dan's probably slightly different. Dan's a cracking goalkeeper, yeah. and it's probably slightly different. I know Dan well. Yeah. Uh, he coaches at my son's football. Uh, but Dan had kind of went away for football. Or for juniors, he went and yeah. amateurs just because he was doing all his coaching badges and things. So he probably feels now, if I'm going to give my time up, I want to play. Yeah. And and you get that with goalies as well. When they get to, maybe when they're 18, 19, you can talk them into sitting on the bench for a season or two and learning. But they get to a point, early 20s, and, and rightly so, they want to be they want to be number one because, you know, they, they're giving up a lot of their time. They're giving up a lot of effort to to get there and, and they want to be playing I totally, understand, I totally respect it it's difficult but the best thing we ever had at, at Larko I was blessed with the goalkeepers I worked with there with big Davy McEwen who's an outstanding goalkeeper and I worked with him for a number of years uh, and then we had Stuart Thompson and Johnny Duncan and we had Stuart and Johnny at the same time and that was your proverbial two number ones battling it out hell for leather and the, the toughest thing there was trying to keep both of them uh, positive, but they made it so easy. Both professionals, you know, real professionals, and but you were looking on your bench thinking, I've got one of the best goalkeepers in the league sitting on my bench here. You just kind of get that one out just now because we've got one of the other best goalkeepers in the league. And that's what you aim to have in every position. Uh, after after Kalu Grovers, you went to Stonehouse Violet, then there was Johnston Borough, Shots Accord, Fourth Wanderers, Fold House United. Well, I mean, when you look back over your career in the juniors, where, where were where were you kind of happiest? Would it be that Johnston Borough, you, you know, that, that kind of cup final, uh, cup um, experience no. talking about, or be it you, def- you, you lost, or where, where would be the highlights for you? Clearly, the, the Scottish Cup run was a highlight in my career, without doubt, but I didn't play much in it. So, you know, I, I played my part, but 
I kind of, I don't have a medal for it. I gave that away. You know, I don't, I didn't feel part of it. I, I felt part of the group. They're a great bunch of boys, and I'm still in touch with a lot of them. Uh, and Donnie and I were, were really close and worked hard together. But I didn't feel as if I'd really put anything towards that. Uh, great setup. Jordy Walker as a manager down there did everything for the club, and and I still, still a lot of time for Johnson, but I really fond of them. Probably my happiest times for the wrong reasons was when I was at Stonehouse I was there for three years and I think I was 18 to 20 or 18 to 21 or something at that point so I was really starting to I was still learning but I now felt as if I was justified being in the juniors but we also started to sign a lot of my mates and at that age we were kind of some of them were getting married and engaged. I was getting married and we were getting married and engaged and starting to have kids and all their wives were friends. So it was just, it was so sociable. It was unbelievable. And in terms of, there wasn't really any pressure. I came from that environment where I was trying to make it senior and it wasn't quite working. And I felt as if I was always pushing. And it probably was a bit detrimental to my career staying there for three years, but I thoroughly enjoyed it. And they were a cracking bunch of boys and they were so honest so honest it was unbelievable so I thoroughly enjoyed that but I did get to the kind of three year and thought with the greatest respect to them they were in the bottom division and I can stay there forever more and probably be quite happy doing it but if I wanted I'm still ambitious I would like to get as high as I can and I needed to get out and the opportunity came up to, to go down to Johnsonborough so I took that and uh, turned into a great move I think in, uh, we had a cracking run when we were at Fault House with a successful team uh, Jimmy Harkins was the manager with Gogsies, he's an assistant manager and, and they were quite legendary, they brought the Dunny Pace team right through the divisions and, and it was the vast majority of that young Dunny Pace team that were starting to turn into their early 20s now that they'd kept together at Fault House uh, and they'd won, won the second division there and then the following year I genuinely thought we were going to go all the way in the Scottish the following year, it was a very similar run to to Johnson Burroughs, we seem to get the favourites in every round. You know, I think I think it was the first round we got Glen Afton up at our place and they'd won it the year before or whatever and we were three nine up after twelve minutes. Uh, and knocked Glen Afton out at our place and I genuinely thought we were gonna go on and win it and we get beat down at Bonus, I think it was in the last sixteen or the quarter finals, but we won a cup through there that year. And I would say I enjoyed that one more than Johnson Burrow. Not because of the group of boys that were there or anything like that but I was the number one that year and I was playing uh, and I felt as if I'd contributed to it so I would say that was probably happiest in terms of success but playing with my mates was Stonehouse <laughs> <laughs> who's, uh, who's got the cup medal from the Johnston Borough days then who did you give that to? I don't know it might have been Eddie McKim I can't. It would have been somebody that wasn't stripped on the day. I wasn't stripped on the day. My back, my back was in a brace from. I'd moved my spine a few inches out of place, and it was in a brace. But I can't remember who it went to. It would have been Eddie McKim or maybe Raymond Fallon, one of the boys that wasn't in the squad that day, but had been about for years and had played a lot of games that season. So it was a no-brainer for me. I wasn't, I wasn't keeping that. Yeah, you just did that out of the. You felt so that you felt they were more deserving. Well, I think. I think everybody would have got one anyway. I think the club, were, I think you get given a certain amount. Back then, I think you'd 14 stripped, and I think you got 16 
medals or something, but uh, I think the club had the opportunity to buy other ones. I'm sure they would have done, but uh, I just remember, I don't even know how I got one of them. But I had one in my hand and I passed it off to, it might have been Remy Fallon, because I remember Remy saying he was retiring while we were on the pitch at the end of the game, saying he was retiring, and I just kind of gave it to him, and whether he kept it or gave it to somebody else, I don't know. But it wasn't for me, I hadn't earned it. My name's Tommy Sloan, Ocherlet Talbot manager. You're listening to Down the Divisions. Which brings us to Inside the Mind. Each week we'll put our guests on the spot to look deep into their psyche and discover some hidden stories. All right, Jamie, who was your idol as a boy? Uh, Kenny Dalglish. He just had it all, didn't he? Uh, I always seen myself as a, the next Kenny Dalglish until, until <laughs> I ended up volunteering to go in goals. Uh, <laughs> no, I, look, Liverpool were winning everything at that time. And, and he was the main man in Liverpool. I mean, I still keep an eye on Liverpool scores to this day, and it was because they were fully Scottish guys. Uh, and you watched Hansen, Sunis, Douglas uh, playing in European finals and things like that. It was just something to aspire to. And obviously, when he played with Scotland, he was the main man. He was scoring all the goals. So, I uh, Kenny Douglas without question for me. Who was the toughest opponent you faced? Seniors. Charlie Miller or Kevin Harper? Uh, Charlie Miller, both those boys are my age group. And I think the first time I played against Charlie, we would have been under 11s. <laughs> and he was unbelievable. He was incredible. He'll uh, uh, probably question this, and I've probably got my facts slightly wrong, but as far as we were concerned, Charlie was lifted out of boys club football when he was about 13, 14. Rangers lifted him out and wouldn't let him play because they just didn't want him. Bear in mind at that time it was boys clubs and you went you went to play against. Uh, they wouldn't let him go and play against boys clubs. I think he got rolled out when they played Celtic boys club a couple of times a year. Uh, but pretty much he spent all his time training at Ibrox. The, the, the boy was just a phenomenal talent. And Kevin Harper was frightening. Uh, Kevin, I, I had a season at West Park alongside Kevin. Uh, the season after he'd scored five by me in a Scottish Cup semi-final it was just frightening and, and I mean two of them were headers you think of him as a flying winger but he was good in the air as well he, he had everything and he went on to have a cracking career Kevin so seniors those two in the juniors it's difficult because as a goalkeeper you're slightly more removed from it uh, I think there's one that stands out as I hated playing against them because you never knew he always seemed to score by me because you never knew when he was going to shoot. He'd shoot from all strangest of angles and that was uh, Brian Dingwall. Uh, Dingy. Dingy would shoot for the touchline. He'd shoot for the halfway line. Uh, and then when it was one-on-one with you and you expect him to shoot, he wouldn't he shoot and he sat you down on your backside and they walked past you and scored. Just a natural finisher. Uh, so, yeah, probably. But, again, with good players... Chick Charlie was about then and Robert Pratt was playing with, with Pollock and things like that and these boys you had to watch with set pieces but all in all it's a good thingy. What's the favourite football top you've worn and why? <laughs> as long as it had a number one on the back I didn't really care <laughs> to uh, Probably the one at Motherwell was the first first goalkeeping top I could ever say I, I liked it was the old blue Motorola one 
and it was just a kind of plain blue with a black panel on the shoulders. But it was probably the first goalkeeping shop that I had that didn't have about 14 colours on it and chevrons <laughs> and triangles and, and all kind of different colours. So you kind of felt <laughs> normal in one of them. So I probably, probably that. There was one of the clubs I was at, I can't remember what club it was, we had, was it fourth? We had an all-black kit, which I quite liked. Uh, we'll go with the middle one. Uh, who's the best player you've played with? Could say either Charlie or Kevin at that level. Uh, I mentioned those players at Mullow. Some of them were good players as well. I'd say in the juniors, it would be a split between two Falthouse players. Again, there was a lot of good players at that Falthouse team. Uh, Big Ian McMurray was a goal-scoring machine up front for us. Uh, Ian lives over in Australia now. Uh, God, I hope he doesn't hear me saying that he was one of my favourite players to play with because mm-hmm. never hear the end of it. Uh, Big Ian was a, an unbelievable striker. And the other lad that was there that stood out was uh, Stuart Tank. He went on to play with Linlithgow for a number of years and, and won everything with him. He was just a young lad. He was only about 20, 21 at the time, but he just had something different. Usually Gogs are chasing him at training because he, he's cheap, <laughs> but he had something different on the park. He was he was your proper gallus footballer, you know. And and again, everybody talks about it. you could give him a, a ball on a phone box and he'd keep it off you for a week. And what's the best practical joke you've seen? Do you know I'm quite old fashioned with them. I quite like I quite like simple ones to be. I mean, look, some of them. <laughs> Some of them I can't tell you because people would get jailed and some of them <laughs> nowadays are probably frowned upon. I remember one that was probably the most effort. We trained in a school gym and we trained, I can't remember, it was, I think say it was a Monday, Wednesday night we trained. Which team was this, Jimmy? Uh, that would have been a Stonehouse. <laughs> and I'm not telling names. But there was a phone call made to one player. It was Halloween. And we decided that we were going to have training in fancy dress. Uh, and they were quite competitive. As I say, everybody was good pals away for the football as well. There was a phone call made to one player told, look, we are going to be training, so don't wear a huge amount because you're going to be running about the school gym for two hours. But we've changed training to Thursday because the school Halloween party is on Wednesday. So it was known to the squad that he was dressing up as a Red Indian or a Native Indian, Native American. And he came with a loincloth and the feather in his hair and ran into the hall to the middle of the primary six school disco. <laughs> <laughs> Which went down well. Uh, I'll tell you my favourite. The favourite was this season. It was very, very simple. And it, there's a reason why it's my favourite, because it's been the biggest challenge to management this year. I've never had all my players in a changing room yet since the day I took over as manager. Have you We've not been allowed. They've not been allowed to be in one room. We've been changed yeah. in the terraces. So I've never had all the players in one room. So trying to build a team spirit while you're doing that can be difficult. But I knew we'd kind of cracked it towards the end of the summer because we had one day we were bringing the players in. We were going to do a wee presentation on how we've seen the team playing and what people's responsibilities were. And unbeknown to me on the group chat, one of the players had changed his name to the gaffer. And I then sent a message out saying it was shirt and tie. 
and it's simple, but one of the the young goalie <laughs> turned up with a full three-piece suit on to find everybody else cutting about in flip-flops and shorts and t-shirts. <laughs> uh, now, it's not the best practical joke ever, but it, it kind of meant a lot to me because the, the boy took it brilliant, the squad loved it, but it was the first sign that we were starting to see a team unit really grown. We had 10 players left for last year, 10 new boys in, and it was the first time we'd seen a real bit of camaraderie between them and, and, and that meant a lot. My name's Callum Graham, Ashfield striker, and you're listening to Down the Divisions. Before we finish up, we'll clear up the Down the Divisions decider. Right, just a reminder of the clues. Paul was quite confident earlier on, so we'll see if he's got it right. The uh, the clues we gave at the start of the show were we're looking for a club from League One down whose ground sits opposite a medieval castle. They have a manager who once played for Scotland's under-21s. When they were formed in 1920, they had ex-servicemen as part of their name, and the suburb where they play was once a prosperous whaling village and later nicknamed the richest square mile in Europe. If Paul is so confident, we'll go with you first, Jamie. I'm not. Right, thanks. <laughs> I don't know why I was thinking of Broth at first, but I've jumped to Linlithgow. Okay. Paul. I had Linlithgow, right? Because of the castle. But then palace. Said, that's a palace. That's a palace, Paul. Yeah, yeah, right, all right. It's a palace, whatever. I but, was thinking Brown Ferguson. Aye, so that's exactly what I was thinking. But then you said the richest square mile. So, black... <laughs> Black Hall in Edinburgh is the, the wealthiest area in Scotland, I believe. But I think it must be something up in Aberdeen. So, up that way, because of the oil. So, the only team I can think of up there is Cove and then Dice. And then round, go round the coast, Barora. So, I'm going to go with Dice. So, you know, over the last few weeks, you've been quite good at pulling... Yeah, but I'm clearly a mile away, aren't I? You're a richest square mile away uh, this week. The answer is Brotty Athletic. Brotty Athletic? There you go. They were originally McCartney's team. Yes, played for Scotland under 21. They were originally known as Brotty X Servicemen. The ground was actually originally called Claypots Park because it was opposite Claypots Castle. Uh, the ground has since been renamed to uh, Witten Park. And the richest square mile in Europe, it was where uh, it became a place where um, the, the wealthy would stay, the, the Duke Barons would stay back back in those days, and that brought money, and that's why it became known as the richest square mile in Europe. Gareth, go. I've got to be honest, you could invite me on again next week and ask me the same question. I'll I haven't got that either. Des Roach comes on every week saying he's got the, he always gets the answer. So I thought, I'm, if, I mean, it'll be interesting to see if he, he claims he claims he always gets them. See if he claims he's got that one this week. <laughs> Jamie, thanks for joining us this week. Uh, hope you managed to get a few more games played in 2021 than you managed in 2020. And uh, we all obviously wish you the best for, for the season, this season, if you finish it, and next season when it starts. No, thank you very much for having us on, and you're both welcome up. As soon as fans are allowed back in, you're both welcome to come up and take a game in. Cheers, Jamie. Thank you. Appreciate Cheers. that, Jamie. Thanks again to our sponsors, 44 Creative. Go to www.44creativehq.com if you're looking for a photographer, graphic designer, videographer, or video editor. 
And don't forget, you can get in touch with us with your comments or suggestions for people to speak to, or if you'd like your club's audio featured on the show. Our email address is downthedivisions at gmail.com. That's downthedivisions at gmail.com. Or you can get in touch via Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Do leave a comment, which helps others find us, and subscribe to get alerts when our latest episode is released. In our first ever episode a year ago next month, we were joined by Whitburn fan Sam Spears, who'd written a song about his love for Whitburn. So as Jamie's with us this week, we'll play the show out to that tune. We'll be back next Friday on Down the Divisions. Come on.